Accutron Watches present The Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture, with your hosts David Graver and Indrani. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. The physical output that you give on stage, you can do an amazing performance and you can push through the jumps and you can do crazy tricks. But if you're not on the right timing, doing that is going to be really hard. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest, Julian McKay, the first American dancer to graduate from the Bolshoi Academy and a principal at Munich's Bayerische Staatsballet. But first up, me, David Graver, my co-host, Indrani, here on a new episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our iconic Spaceview 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design, combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed, again. The Accutron Spaceview 2020. David, great to see you again, and so excited to meet today with Julian McKay. I understand that that you met him some time ago. And I'd love to know a little bit more about how, how you guys connected. Honestly, we first connected after he was in a photo shoot for a magazine where he was sort of championed as the future of ballet. And I immediately went from that to going to YouTube, to looking him up and seeing all of these videos that were unlike any other ballet I'd ever seen he sort of inhabited a role and brought this vivaciousness, this vitality that made me so interested in an art form that I knew nothing about. And from that point forward, I knew that I wanted to work with him. I wanted to write about him. I wanted to be involved in his future because I don't know who's supporting ballet that much anymore. What classical art forms move you? Oh, gosh. For me, I'm really intrigued by indigenous art forms because they're they're so deeply rooted in in mythology and an embodied practice in a connection to nature and a connection to others. And they involve all of the society. It's not just one dancer. It's the whole, uh, you know, grandma and and a three year old child. They're all incorporated into that that uh, social movement. And in many ways, dance is a wonderful metaphor for the passage of time, which is something we should definitely explore with Julian because not only about the span of a ballet dancer's career, but the immediacy of being on stage. Have you been on stage? I have, yeah. I I was, I loved dance as a kid, but I was completely uncoordinated. So my stage experiences were rather terrifying. You know, you, you mentioned time and that's such an important element of every art form. And especially with dance, really, it, it is all about finding that rhythm and Gosh, for me, I had no rhythm as a young person. <laughs> My hand-eye coordination is quite terrible, I, but I enjoy dancing. I like going out to dance. I like dancing with friends. I like to pretend like I can dance on a dance floor. But I think we're about to speak to a dancer who 
is defining the future of the very art form. And hearing him speak in in other moments, it's it's very clear that he he is working on a very intuitive level and 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 going into into great depths into what it means to be an artist. Oh. We look forward to speaking with Julian McKay right after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Julian, welcome to the Accutron Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So great to meet you. Likewise, likewise. I think we wanted to begin with the start of your journey and how a boy from Montana ended up as a ballet dancer in Moscow. Well, uh, that's a good story. Um, <laughs> and uh, definitely also an interesting place to tell you the story from because I, um, I was born in Montana here. Um, and I started dancing on the driveway. That's about, you know, 20 feet from here. And I really, I love to always move and dance. And I saw my sisters dancing and I was like, this is something that I want to pursue. And my parents at the time were kind of like, well, we think that maybe you should try fencing or let's uh, put you in some tennis or, or soccer. Or what about uh, football, maybe baseball? And so I ended up doing all these different things that I enjoyed doing too, but I just didn't have that same passion for and I remember, especially like with chess, for instance, I, I was like playing chess because I loved it. I beat my dad. And then I was like, well, so what do I do next to, to show that I'm good at this so I can stop doing it so I can go and do dance and ballet? And uh, it got to the point that I was like, you know, there's like 10 kids in Montana that play chess like super serious. But we did this like actual uh I went to like the the university here locally and became like the state champion for like my age group and like <laughs> was very serious about anything I did. And so when I did ballet, there's even these hilarious like childhood photos of me at like summer camps and stuff of me being like super serious, doing like very simple like ballet pose and like just so much like uh, focus. And I think that that's why when I did end up um, going to Professional Ballet Academy, um, uh, the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in Moscow, Russia, um, and then graduating as the first American to complete the lower and upper academies, the reason why that happened was just because I was always so serious and so focused on this thing that for most people is like a lot of fun. Like you dance when you're happy and it's, it's a light thing. But for me, I was like, this is serious. You know, I'm 11. I'm going to Moscow. You're coming with guys. So I have to ask, why Moscow and, and what was it like being, I mean, obviously the Bolshoi Academy is world renowned as, as one of the most exciting places for dancers. But for you as a kid from Montana, how did that drive develop to want to go to Moscow and what was it like being there? Well, um, I, because I have two older sisters that are ballerinas, we as a family uh, learned kind of what what was important in dance and ballet at what points you needed to educate yourself uh on like schools and and places to go for the summer and like what like what do you do to become a professional ballet dancer like where do you go how does that happen uh like what physical abilities do you have to have and then where do you go to like put in the work to become that and um along the way my sisters had trained uh, with a lot of really good uh, Vaganova method teachers and um, that kind of uh, schooling method was for them very understandable because it was kind of like building blocks and it was very you complete this step and you get good at it and then you learn the next one and um, 
they didn't really have the experience to get that when they were super young and little because we didn't know as a family. And so when I started showing that I was really passionate about this and I wanted to do it seriously, we were always kind of looking for that full curriculum, something that teaches you, you know, duet class, historical dance class, uh, character dance, uh, gymnastics and ballet. And um, one of the only places in the world that does that at a very high level is the Bolshevik Ballet Academy uh, in, in Moscow. And so it was more of a, a necessity to find that full curriculum. I looked here in the States and stuff, and I, I looked in, in Europe to see if there was anything. But really, uh, it just kept leading to people being like, well, I mean, if you really want to get that like full package, you might as well just go to Moscow, kind of thinking that, like, why would a kid from Montana actually do that? Um, so that's how I ended up there. And what was the experience like for you? I, I loved it. I, I thrive with um, a challenge. And uh, I, I think that dance and ballet is a great way of like learning about yourself and your emotions and your expressions and uh, who you are as a person. And so when you go through um, that kind of uh, very rigorous training when you're young that like, uh, you know, I'm in the classroom there and like there's other boys and we're all like pushing to be the best that we can be. Um, you you get into this mentality kind of like an Olympic sports team where you uh, have one singular goal and focus and the people around you, these teachers, these kind of stewards of the art form are trying to help you get there. And for me, I, I really, I love that. I love the fact that I didn't have it when I showed up. I, I didn't have the muscles. I, I had no idea how to use my body in the way that was needed. But I had uh, a lot of really great people that could teach me that. And so I think the biggest thing that I learned and the thing that I loved the most was just kind of seeing it all and absorbing as much as I could of that kind of, um, I'd say, legacy. Because uh, even, you know, the school there is uh, is very old. And so the actual, like, building even has a certain amount of, like, uh, history in the walls and stuff of people that have been there and put in the time. And I remember we got to the point where I'm, like, 16 years old. And this is when, you know, uh, a lot of the other boys and stuff were like, oh, let's go and, you know, have some fun here. Let's do that. Like maybe skip a class. Like it kind of started to really show who was very serious about it, um, even in their like kind of personal approach rather than like, let's get good grades. I want to stay at school. Um, and me and my, uh, my good friend, we basically um, convinced one of the security guards to give us a key to the studios and then went and fashioned another key for the studio to go in after hours to work more time because you're only allowed to be there until like seven. And so like, you know, at like 16, 17, you can get in a lot of trouble, but the kind of trouble I was getting into was like being in the ballet studio too much. Uh, so that was kind of my experience. One of the reasons we first connected has to do with the fact that I believe that you bring a new life to ballet you are among a generation of people sort of infusing it with a new set of authenticity, a new language that younger people can relate to. As you've been training, interest in ballet, maybe on a global level, has been diminishing. Do you feel that way? And what are you doing to bring people to ballet? Well, that's, that's very kind of you, David, too, that you feel like I'm a part of that uh, generation, because I really, it's something that... Um, classical arts in general on a, on a global scale are changing. I don't, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's necessarily correct to say they're being diminished. I think it's more that they're changing. And I think that for classical ballet, in a sense, it's something that is very niche and is very specific. And you have to uh, understand a lot and know a lot to really get 
getting to everything about it. But at the same time, if you show up to a theater and you've never seen an art form like this before and you sit there, you will feel the effect of the classical music and the beautiful dancing. And maybe you'll understand the story of you know, Spartacus or Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty. And I think that the, the goal that I have really now is to try and make it so that somebody uh, my age, 25, is excited about that experience. And I, I think it has a lot to do with the stories that we tell, the way that we tell them, the people that are represented on stage, uh, the way those people are marketed and shown to an audience. Um, because I, you know, even way back in the day when Varishnikov uh, came to the US and everything, there was all these uh, uh, kind of other dancers and other people that were superstars and physically could do things that were amazing. But because they weren't able to access that uh, freedom and that ability to share their craft, it wasn't shared. And so uh, Baryshnikov is, is a legendary dancer and, and one of the best uh, ever. But he also had classmates that were fantastic. And I think that um, the best thing about today's uh, world that we live in, um, especially with all these tech things and everything, is that you can connect with so many people. You can, if you really have a story you want to share and tell, there's almost nothing holding you back. And I think that with classical arts in general, but especially with classical ballet, it's just about having kind of new faces, new energy, and uh, that drive and that like really clear precision that you care about this one thing. And maybe everybody doesn't understand it at first, but with time, the education comes and you kind of start to understand why it's important. For me as an artist and a filmmaker, I know how obsessive one can be. And it sounds like, you know, from, from many of the dancers I know and many other classical performers, there is a, a great deal of obsession that goes into developing those kinds of highly specialized skills. How do you yeah. find a balance in life or do you feel that uh, that one can have a balance as as an artist who's deeply committed to your craft and at the same time as as a young person who is is engaged in the world in in many other ways well i think that uh the funny thing that has happened a little bit with me in, in my life so far is you know, recently I was I was in in California performing in Orange County, and uh, I decided to fly my mom out to see the show because she's not usually able to see them overseas because um, she lives in Montana here. And I was like, oh, well, how about we drive up to um, to San Francisco? Um, I'm going to see see some friends there and stuff. And so I do this kind of like family trip, uh, road trip a little bit up up, uh, up Highway One. And um, when I get to San Francisco, I, I message the one person really that I kind of stay in touch with a lot, and I say, hey, like, how about we meet up for dinner? And he's like, well, great. Um, I'll invite a, a few other friends of mine. And I'm sitting at dinner and I'm talking with this person, actually also named David. And uh, it turns out that he founded this company called Midjourney that does these like AI um, uh, programs and, uh, and uh, kind of uh, works in AI. And uh, I've used this software and I use it for developing costumes and ideas and uh, sets and uh, these ballets that I want to create and the way that I want to work with technology or do a presentation about something I'm passionate about. And I think the, the kind of the, the funny part about it for me is that it's not that that has worked for me. It's that I, I went to dinner to spend a dinner with friends and I, I felt more kind of energized and rejuvenated because I spoke with somebody that is also really passionate about what they do. And so I think that like the obsession about uh, like this, this thing that I care about and artists in general, their, their obsession with their art is something that it's just a part of you. It's not really something that you can get away from. And I think that uh, the more you're able to embrace it and live with it, the better it grows inside of you into this beautiful thing. Speaking of technologies, 
social media has really helped amplify your message and your ability to perform and your ability to communicate ballet. How do you use social media? Well, um, I think that it, it ties back in a little bit to um, what I was saying about kind of the classical, uh, the classical world, especially classical theater arts and stuff. Um, it, it takes a while for things to catch on um, uh, in, at the opera or uh, at the symphony. And ballet is usually kind of the last thing even after that, because there's a lot of history, there's a lot of tradition, and there's a reason that people do things that way. But also um, there's kind of this fear that we might show too much. We might overshare so that the audience sees everything backstage and is not interested anymore. As what I've kind of uh, seen and realized and, and really support with um, even the work that I do with my brother Nicholas and in our production company is that I really, I want to share this world that I'm in and ballet is still a very closed world. Even if you open it up and show everything, you really, there's like, you know, you have to have to go to the school, you have to go to the place, you have to be backstage at the theater. There's all of these like costumes and details and stories that even if you tell the entire thing are still very kind of steeped in tradition and uh, kind of take a while to digest and understand. And I think that the beauty of social media and especially what, what I do and, and what we do with our production company is I really try and show high quality. If you're able to communicate stuff that is high quality with really good cameras and people that really care about what they're doing and um, you share that to, to the world, I think the, the thing that we've been surprised by is that so many people connect with it. You can do a project that seems like uh, in, the, in the middle of uh, uh, Paradise Valley here in Montana, we do this event uh, called the Yellowstone International Arts Festival, and uh, it's a stage in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, there's elk and bison basically watching ballet dancers and opera singers and musicians perform. And you'd think that that's something that, well, maybe the local cowboys will love. But because of social media and the outreach that is possible with uh, with the Internet, you can draw in people from all over the world that simply love nature and beauty and arts. And I think that's the it's a fantastic tool. Julian, thank you very much for that. We're going to take a break um, and come back to talk a little bit more about your relationship to choreography and your role as a choreographer. Fantastic. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection, reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s. The legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for your future. Welcome back to the Accutron Show, where we are with Julian McKay a profound ballet dancer and the first American to graduate the Bolshoi Academy. Julian, I'm Thanks. so I'm so fascinated by everything you're doing and I'd love to ask in this modern world where everything is about instant gratification, about uh, immediate results and and also about this sort of uh, people want to experience things firsthand. How do you feel the role of dance um, fits in with that and, and also in, in our need, perhaps our collective need for ritual? I feel like uh, the beautiful thing about communication is that you can use all these different uh, platforms and uh, uh, languages and uh, dialogues to, to, to really connect with people. And dance is something that at its most simple kind of basic form is a feeling. 
And if you're able to pass that feeling on to somebody else through this performance or slight, slight kind of uh, holding of tension of a muscle and releasing, it becomes this like beautiful pattern of uh, expression. And I think the more uh, the more people get involved with the kind of the dance or the feeling that they have when they see somebody dance or when they dance, the more it becomes something that can can be healing. It can be uh, uh, uplifting. It can uh, be inspiring. And the the kind of exciting thing as a dancer is that you don't really know what's going to happen. You can dance a show that you've danced a million times. And when you go on stage, you have no idea what that person sitting in the front row or way back in the stalls is going to feel because the personal experiences that you go through and the life that you live leads you to that moment of you sitting there watching Romeo and Juliet and your own personal love stories you've had and your own heartbreak and your own uh, kind of first love. And that kind of moment is different for everyone. And uh, the kind of uh, the beauty that can come out of that, if that's, uh, like I said, hope or inspiration or healing uh, or joy is is really magical. And I think that that for dance and, and uh, ballet especially is is really cool because ballet is so specific with the positions and the form. Even with all of that, it's still this pattern of expression. And that pattern of expression, just like a painting for a lot of people, is, uh, is very different the way we view it and the way we see it uh, because of our own experiences. You step into roles that are decades, if not centuries old, and you have to carry on a legacy of that role, but also bring it to an audience in 2023. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? So this is the biggest challenge, I would say, about being uh, in this point in time in the kind of history and legacy of ballet, because there is, a, a, I'd say, a big kind of motif and push and, and, and movement to change uh, everything. And, and that's, uh, you know, our times in general, but in especially the classical world to say that this thing is something that we shouldn't talk about or this is something that we shouldn't express. And I think that the... Uh, the difficulty and the real challenge is that when you step into these characters, it's important to do enough history and research uh, kind of uh, about the role, uh, the origin, uh, where it's from, origi uh, where, where it originally um, uh, kind of grew into this thing. Because even, you know, I was speaking about like Romeo and Juliet in, in the version that I do in, in Munich at the Bayerische Staatsballet. Um, it's a version by John Cranko. And his, his version is, is very clearly set in the words of Shakespeare. It's not the feeling, it's not the, the place, it's, it's the words. And so sometimes like the first uh, meeting that I have with Juliet, I look at her hands and that's the thing that pulls me in because that's, what, that's what's written by Shakespeare. And I think that um, if you're able to dive into these characters that are very old and find this thing that you can connect yourself to in a modern way, um, if that's, um, uh, let's see, a, a good example would be uh, Cinderella. Uh, there's this wonderful production that we do that's by Christopher Wielden that's uh, very new, very fresh. Costumes are, are very kind of vibrant. The way the story is told is very new. But the story of Cinderella is also kind of this old uh, story that even when I was in Russia, I did a completely very old, like post-war um, uh, version. And uh, those characters of the prince are something that you have to develop and change and kind of connect with your identity. But also you, you kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a way that you're like bringing something that's really forgotten in a way 
this forgotten character that doesn't exist anymore because those times have passed and you're bringing it into this modern focus and to do that you have to of course have the 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 physical ability but also the like emotional understanding to be like well a prince nowadays how does he treat a woman how do you act towards uh, uh the characters at the ball and i think you don't necessarily always have to uh kind of just do it how people have done it you can really create something that's unique and yours out of each one of these things because there's so much history and because there's so many in interpretations it's this uh, kind of molding that happens you mentioned connection a lot and i just came back from being with indigenous people who use dance as a way to connect socially and 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 to express the community's um connectedness and and also it's it's evolution together so it's this really interesting way of of embodied practice when we go to watch dance is there a, a role of catharsis for the viewer that you believe in as well as for the dancer like how how does that connection transcend the physicality of the form so I think that's definitely something that happens because, for instance, if you go to a theater and you go with friends, uh, rather than going by yourself, you're going to have a very different experience. Not because you guys are talking or, uh, you know, they, they're dancing on stage, but because when you go with a feeling of, uh, of kind of collectiveness, even as an audience member with, with family or friends, you, uh, you experience these stories a little different as if you went by yourself to like a Romeo and Juliet or a Giselle. And I think that um, the audience has, I would say even more of an experience than the performer on stage sometimes, because you don't, a lot of the time as an audience member, when I go and watch my colleagues or I go and uh, um, catch a show, I don't know what's going to happen. And you never know what's going to happen. Even if you know the entire ballet and everything to the T of what should happen, the uh, interpretation and the experience that the dancers have on stage is live and kind of one of a kind in that way. So you always have this feeling of uh, emotional growth through the story, because even if it's the exact same story, you don't know truly how this person is going to portray it or show it. And especially if they're very good artists, they uh, are able to do that in a unique way every time. In Munich, you're a principal dancer. For people that don't know what that is, can you explain it and tell us what your day is like? What is required of you? So uh, in the ballet world, there's uh, this quite hierarchical system of uh, kind of different ranks in a company. And uh, you start out your, um, I started out as an apprentice with the Royal Ballet, um, but you, you start out uh, either as this kind of trainee apprenticeship before the corps de ballet. And the corps de ballet means that it's this kind of group, uh, group dancer. And so you're on stage with your colleagues trying to form the correct line, stand in the right place, do the kind of big, bigger mass scenes. Um, after the corps de ballet, there's uh, uh, sometimes uh, soloists, sometimes second soloists to add more um, differentiation there. Um, and then after that, there's even first soloist sometimes and then uh, principal. And the, the role of a principal in, in, in a ballet company is to uh, represent not only the company, but also uh, these characters and the ballets on stage as those lead leading characters. And uh, for, for me specifically, because, because I'm a male ballet dancer, most of uh, the work that I do 
are um, demanding in two ways. You have the um, the dancing where I'm physically doing stuff that is um, jumping, turning, uh, falling, uh, you know, all of those all of those um, uh, physical movements myself. But the other like I'd say 50 percent of it for for a male ballet dancer is partnering. And that's where you really have to get good at reading and understanding somebody's uh, movement quality and how they move and, and uh, uh, are affected by different steps. And you're kind of there to catch them when they need to be uh, supported, but you're also there to lift them when they jump. And a lot of it is is, uh, is to do with rhythm, because if you are a phenomenal dancer, but you can't dance with anyone, it means that you can't really tell any story except for your own. And uh, the thing that really, I think, transcends um, into the audience is emotional stories where people connect. And that's why I was saying connection before, too. If you're able to connect with a partner on stage and then you're also able to connect with the audience with your performance, it means that you have this really full circle feeling that um, is easily kind of transmitted. Can I ask you, where do you see your art form going, you know, as as the world is more interconnected, but also as as we deal with major crises like climate change and and uh, economic uh, challenges, all of these things. What's the role of dance in in the future? Well, I think the the general kind of uh, purpose of culture is to represent who we are. And if you take something like dance and uh, maybe even more specific ballet, they, it has always represented the cultures that it's been a part of. And nowadays that's changing and shifting and there's new topics and new things that people care about and we need to care about um, that I think the art form of ballet and, and dance in general can be used to show. Um, an example would be I, I, I choreographed this piece called Rebirth of the Reef for an event uh, that we produce in the Maldives. And the island itself does a lot of work to uh, sustain and maintain and uh, do as much regeneration as they can of the coral reef ecosystem that, that they're a part of. And uh, my focus for the piece was to show that on stage uh, in this kind of ballet form. And even though it sounds kind of uh, maybe rudimentary and, and basic to be like, well, let's take a concept that is happening around us and let's put it on stage. For a lot of people, that's a big step because the audience then sits there and enjoys something that they can are used to enjoying with uh, maybe a more simple story or a more um, uh, kind of classical story. And here they sit there and they see topics that are happening around them that are uh, important and valuable. Um, I did another project in, in Japan this past year that was about PET bottles and recycling. And uh, we had these huge uh, walls of plastic bottles and the whole entire focus was on uh, helping people be inspired and uh, really invigorated to focus on issues like, let's say, sustainability or um, environmental things that are right in front of them. And I think sometimes when you take a different approach than the kind of doom and gloom of like, it's already too late, we can't do it anymore, I don't know what we're going to do, but you put it into something beautiful and you say, hey, we're going to create hope and we're going to inspire a generation to fix these problems and to, to sort this out. And it, it can really lead to something that is, uh, is, is unexpected because dance and ballet communicates in a way that's even more powerful than words sometimes. I love that so much. So inspiring and we got to talk about some some creations together. <laughs> Julian, that was really remarkable. Thank you for sharing that. Just going to ask before we lose you, do you wear a watch or have you worn a watch or have you had a character that's ever had to wear a watch? 
so uh one um there's this great ballet uh in uh in in london at the, at the royal opera house um I think it's called like Two Pigeons or something. And it's a ballet by Ashton that uh, I played. Uh, this was when I was an apprentice and stuff. Uh, and I played the character and it's it's like a background role. And I had this like top hat and stuff and very like kind of British like smoking and everything. And uh, that that was probably one of the first times I wore a watch on stage. Oh, wow. Because most of the times I think the characters that I play are a little, um, uh, I'd say, uh, they're usually like kind of the princes and uh, you know the Spartacus or the Don Q, you know. So it's not necessarily characters that are of modern times. Um, but the 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 beautiful thing about um, about kind of style and showing that on stage is that I hope that things like that progress because what happens is um, things like wearing a watch uh, during a performance is uh, is a really cool character trait that you can develop. Um, into something that uh, I think it'd be cool to see that more often, more kind of modern elements uh, um, on stage. Julian, I'd love to ask you, as a dancer, what is your notion of time? How does how does you know? You, I, I know the time span of a of a dancer's career is short, and yet when you're on stage, every millimeter of time counts. Can you share a little bit more what it what time means to you? Well, so the the exciting thing and the beautiful thing about working with an instrument like your body is that it's kind of like a clock. You start out when you're young and you have this amazing flexibility and ability to do things fast and to do things quickly uh, as you gain more strength. And then at a certain point as a ballet dancer, it slows down. And the, the moments that you have on stage where you're in your prime uh, for me for like the next 10, 15 years, hopefully, um, the, the feeling that you have is that you're moving almost in slow motion. Everything around you is happening, but you're very in control of that time. The, the, for me, the, the most important thing when you mention time as well is the conductor and the music and the musicality of that, the physical output that you give on stage, you can do an amazing performance and you can push through the jumps and you can do crazy tricks. But if you're not on the right timing, doing that is going to be really hard. And that's because of the music and because of the tempos that they set that really determine how you dance. You can dance outside of the music. You can dance in the music. But when you hit that like flow state, that, that perfect moment where you're in harmony with your own body rhythm, you've taken a breath and exhaled and jumped. And so everything is light and you're flying through the air and the music's happening at the same time. That's when you feel this like kind of... Uh, I'd say like this sense of perfect harmony, harmony with the timing and the physicality, but also harmony with the kind of outside, you know, the stage and, and the performance and the lights and the conductor. Um, and so that that is definitely um, a big part of my job. Um, as far as like the career and everything, it's the more time that you spend in the studio, the better you're going to be. But sometimes you just have to take a break and, and rest and uh, recover and over the journey of a career, there's all these like ups and downs and uh, good moments and bad moments. But also, uh, I'd say, you know, now it's a summer break, right? And so I have uh, about a month and a half off that I can do whatever I want to do. And the worst thing that I could choose to do is do nothing because the body, even over just a month and a half, changes rapidly. And this training that you've had for like, I trained for like 10 years, you know, to get to this point, um, you can lose it. 
and you can lose it quite quickly. And I think that's where um, time is is a beautiful thing, especially with with dance and ballet, because it's very fleeting. It's something that you go to a performance and you see that Romeo and Juliet and you think, oh, wow, like that was so stunning and so beautiful. And that could never happen again. The way that you've seen it, the way that it's been portrayed, that artist, the way they performed it that night, even just my, my own experiences, you try and dance better and better and better. But emotionally, you're always different when you go through that because time has passed and time has uh, has shifted your perception or your interpretation of the role even. Julian, ballet is so competitive on an international scale. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about any challenges you may have faced globally. Well, um, the the first one probably that started out for me was coming from Montana. There's not really boys that do ballet. And it's it's something that in the U.S. has, I don't know if it's been necessarily a stigma, but it's been something that's just not really popular. Like in the U.S., if you're a ballerina, there's a whole word for that. There's a, you know, a whole concept around uh, the point shoes and all of that. But when I come he home here to Montana and I say, oh, I'm, I'm a, a ballet dancer, I'm a male ballet dancer. It's something that people are like, well, do you wear point shoes? And there are definitely some people that do do that. But the kind of concept and notion around what it is to be a male ballet dancer probably was the first one. And uh, the biggest learning curve for my parents to, to go and find those schools that did know what that was and to find that community that did know what that was and could support that. But as far as the professional side of the kind of competition, it's you get to a point where you realize that the way you perform on stage is really a battle against yourself. You can be tired, you can be happy, you can be sad. But when you go out there, you're fighting your own uh, laziness, your own uh, injuries that you did to yourself, your own lack of time, sleep, whatever it is. And I think that it is a very competitive world, but when you really uh, perfect the physicality of it, the steps, and uh, to as much as you can, and it's a constant journey, of course, but when you perfect it to the point that you're like, well, I can do a pirouette really well, or I can do this double tour really well, that's when it starts becoming more about, okay, so I did this when I was 17, and it looked really good. What can I improve on that? And how can I do that differently now because I've, I've grown and I've learned from that fall or uh, that time that I didn't do a good show or um, that bad experience uh, with the costume that got stuck, you know? And so it, it's something that you, I really feel at this point in my career, it's, it's really a, a battle with myself and a, a kind of a constant um, competition with what I know is I'm capable of. And um, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's really great too because in Munich at this this job that I work at, we have a really supportive company, a very uh, great atmosphere of other dancers that have had great careers and have that kind of supportive nature because I think that a lot of times with with ballet and classical ballet, people always think of this like black swan concept of, you know, these ballerinas are out to get each other and stuff. And I would say that especially for, for the men in, in dance and ballet, it's it's sometimes a little bit different because you have to deal with the, the fact that people just don't understand what you do. And then after that, that you are doing something that is physical in two ways, physical because it's emotionally draining in a way that you're putting all these things on stage. But also then, you know, after you've done your solo where you jump and you fly on stage, you're also there to support somebody else. And uh, I think that even, you know, you mentioned that kind of uh, the competition of it for me when I'm extremely exhausted after dancing, like my solo and I've given everything that I can give. The competition for me is how much can I support the ballerina that I'm dancing with for the next 35 seconds when I'm exhausted. And for her, it's the same. And so that's the kind of beautiful harmony that exists uh, 
in the ballet world that when you get to that point, it's just about the art form and the passion that you have for it. Julian, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such a pleasure. Very exciting. Exciting to hear your story and, and very inspiring. Thank you. I hope to see you at my performances. We'll be there. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. Remember to check out our special edition Accutron products in collaboration with La Paulina Cigars, Estabrook Pens, Asseline Publishing, and Stave Puzzles. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time. This is Bill McCuddy.